Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa MacDonald. Welcome. Welcome to another podcast in the FinTalks series by Finance Malta. I'm Vanessa MacDonald and here with me today is the founder and CEO of Zenith Actuarial, Scott Robinson. Scott, thank you so much for being with us. Um, This is really quite uh, an interesting uh, development for us because uh, Zenith is actually the first and only specialist actuarial consultancy on the island. Maybe you can explain to us why do we need actuarials. I mean, gosh, the stuff you do is so uh, incredibly complicated and mathematical. Uh, Do people actually have that kind of in-house expertise or is this why they need to outsource? Well, firstly, thanks for the welcome. It's it's great to take part in this podcast and um, it's it's great to have a business that we're establishing in Malta and um, my colleague Will Davis, who's who's local to the island, is going to be our, our key person on the island. But in terms of addressing the question that you have, uh, yes, in, in terms of insurance companies and pension schemes, they they will all need specialist actuarial advice and, and actuaries. And um, whilst the work we do can be of a very complex nature and of a lot of detailed mathematics, I'd say as actuaries, our, our role is a lot wider than that. And generally, uh, I would say that we were good at just business skills and understanding these firm, the, the, the business of these firms from a, a much wider context. And, and that might be things like understanding the market in which they operate, the regulatory requirements, uh, things like undertaking product pricing, understanding the construct of their balance sheet and um, understanding things like reinsurance structures and different things. So it's not just about the maths, but yes, as actuaries, we love maths and um, our kind of history and heritage is from a mathematical background, which can be understanding things like if you work in the life insurance industry, the the chances of someone living to a certain age or the probability that they might die or that they might get ill. Or if you work in the non-life sector, um, it could be pricing things like car insurance or home insurance, so so those kind of things. In in terms of uh, the Maltese market, I I see that uh, insurers in Malta have, have always needed to have actuarial support, but that has tended to be provided from outside of Malta. And they've tended to use places, for example, the UK or Cyprus or or other jurisdictions. I think one of the key differentiators for us and now moving forward is that we can provide those services from within Malta and Will will be looking to grow the team in Malta and provide services. So so we can provide actuarial services and and a range of outsourcing support from within Malta. I think what's so interesting is um, you've mentioned insurance companies in Malta, but of course, insurance uh, is in the wider sphere is also important because we have so many PCC companies and captive insurance companies in Malta. So presumably, they are also one of the reasons you came to Malta or not? Yes, I think Malta's got a, a great base of insurance companies already and different constructs as well. Like you say, there's PCCs, there's captives. 
I think the regime here with the MFSA is very robust in terms of its regulatory oversight and I think it's also a very supportive regulatory regime and I think that offers the opportunity for firms to come to the island and look at the different uh, constructs that they can set up in terms of their corporate entities and it might be that a PCC is suitable for their needs or it might be actually that a reinsurance structure is suitable so I think whilst there's a local market in Malta and that can act to serve and support the local community and grow the number of uh, insurers and financial services companies that are on the island. For example, with pension reform, and I'm sure there'll be product innovation in the market. It also offers the opportunity for firms across the European community to look to Malta to think, well, could we set up some kind of arrangement there? And if you look at other places, for example, Bermuda and the Isle of Man, where, where there's similar kind of structures, there's certainly um, industries there that have grown quite sizable and made good use of, uh, you know, where they are, for example, Bermuda close to the US and Isle of Man close to the UK. I think it's really interesting because obviously um, for these kind of sectors to grow, there needs to be the sort of all the ancillary services. I mean, they can't operate in a, in a vacuum. So they're actually looking for, for companies like yourself who offer the kind of services they would need, as you say, to outsource, which is super interesting. Is Malta's position in the EU going to be of interest to you? You mentioned, you know, Bermuda with the US and so on. Would Malta's proximity to the, or well, membership of the EU help as well? I think so, uh, you know, especially post-Brexit, I think Malta's got a bigger role to play. As things happen and develop in Europe, I think there's definitely opportunities for Malta. And it's already got a number of firms that, that use the island for, I'd say, the accumulation of risks across Europe and bring those to Malta. And I think that could certainly grow. And... I think the challenge or the opportunity there is to keep an eye on what's going on in Europe and to try and take some of that opportunity as soon as you, as soon as you can. And, and so that might be looking at things like the Dutch market and where there's pensions consolidation or movement from a corporate environment into the insurance environment, whether those kind of uh, changes that are happening in, in those kind of markets somebody could look towards Malta and say, well, actually, could we set up a vehicle here to uh, support that risk transfer that's happening? Can we go back to what actuaries actually do? Because one of the things that you have to calculate is obviously, as you said, life insurance, etc. But there are also, in the, in the wider sphere, you're, you're calculating the unknown. Um, obviously, one of the things which comes up uh, again and again and again is climate change. So, you know, how can you actually calculate the unknowable? Well, I think, I think that's one of the things that actuaries are good at thinking about risks in general and what might be, be part of those risks and the features that, that drive the underlying, underlying changes there. Um, climate change is certainly an area that the actuarial community is moving more and more into. There's a lot of research coming from actuaries 
and there's certainly some working groups of which, uh, just to plug, I know Will is is one has taken part in one of those uh, industry groups, and he's probably more um, he's probably got more expertise to to talk about this, and maybe that's a further podcast. But certainly in terms of climate change, actuaries have got expertise in looking through things like asset portfolios and looking at the construct of those asset portfolios and different industries and for example and thinking about what could happen with some of these assets whether they could become stranded assets or those kind of things and and the implication for insurers on the balance sheet of changes in those underlying assets so if you're an insurer that's got a lot of um, assets invested for example in equities or corporate bonds or whatever that's an area that actuaries can help if you're also an insurer that is exposed to I'd say more kind of direct climate risks on the liability side, that's also an area where actuaries can look at and help look at the underlying risk profile of those kind of things and say, well, how could the risk profile of, of those change over time? So, for example, if you're insuring you know, weather-related risks, what's, what's trends been, what could happen going forward? Um, you know, it could be even things like uh, health-related risks of what happens if the climate gets warmer, how might that impact on people's health and, and so on and so forth. Pardon my ignorance, but surely with all this data crunching, um, the question has to be asked, is there a role for artificial intelligence? I mean, definitely there's a role for AI. I mean, as there's a role for AI, I think in in lots of industries, but AI is certainly being considered significantly in the insurance and financial services market. Uh, for example, banks obviously looking heavily in AI in terms of things like credit rating and things, but insurers will also make a lot of use of AI, and that could be in helping in underwriting and things like that. So. Um, look, looking at people's kind of underlying characteristics and improving underwriting processes. It could be like you say of the crunching of masses and masses of volumes of data and passing that through AI tools to see what an AI model would um, would come back on that. I think, I think um, AI is still in my kind of experience and understanding got a way to go before you can just throw lots of data at it. Um, a lot of people have used predictive modelling in, in the recent past and those tools are proving to be you know, very useful and understandable. I think one of the challenges with AI is how you can look at the outcomes to check whether it's kind of you know, free from bias or you know, if, you, if you want to use jargon that's going on in the AI uh, industry that the, the AI model doesn't have things like hallucinations. So it's definitely um, a great opportunity, though. <laughs> oh, very interesting. It'll be something to keep our eye on. You touched on the aspect of uh, regulatory uh, reporting, pressures, etc., etc. What's actually going on in, in Europe? I noticed that you've launched a product which is specifically aimed at helping people with regards to data required under solvency too? Well, I think in terms of Europe, if you're looking at insurers, there's, there's change. Obviously, the UK is, is now kind of looking at its own solvency regime. It's still very, very close to solvency too, but has 
developing some differences there. So for us as a, as a business that's predominantly in the UK, we're heavily looking at, uh, at, the, at the PRA's changes to its sovereignty regime. And also then in terms of Europe, we're considering what, what EOPA might look at in terms of its solvency changes as well. Um, so we're, we're kind of mindful to keep an eye on all of those things. I don't think in terms of sovereignty too, there's anything radical coming out from EOPA. I mean, we as a business uh, help firms to navigate their way through all of the regulations for, for sovereignty requirements. So for example, sovereignty too, and as part of our outsourcing service, we we provide a service that we undertake the actuarial function for firms. So we effectively do everything from receiving underlying data to crunching the numbers and doing all the exciting analytics that actuaries do to helping firms file their final regulatory submissions and their accounts. So, you know, we're well versed with that whole I'd say uh, workflow and and requirements, and we we just keep an eye on Sonti too to help firms. Scott, continue. thank you so much for giving us all this information. I'm sure people will find it extremely thought provoking and interesting. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.